Welcome to Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. I'm your aptly named host of your favorite hebdomadal podcast. And I'm glad you're with me. I'd get slapped with a diagnosis of paragonomyosis if you infected me with the idea that you missed this week's show. The 40 Laws of Nonprofit Impact. We can't hit them all, but that's the title of Derek Timmerman's book. He's got advice like give to gain, hire with ruthless selectivity, win while you're sleeping, and eat last and get dirty. We'll talk about these and other ideas. His company is Sparrow Nonprofit Solutions. On Tony's Take Two, 50% off Planned Giving Accelerator ends next week. We're sponsored by Turn2 Communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission, turn-2.co. It's a pleasure to debut on Nonprofit Radio, Derek Timmerman. He is founder of Sparrow Nonprofit Solutions, a nationwide consulting firm helping nonprofits maximize their world-changing impact. Before Sparrow, he was a management consultant at McKinsey and Company and a U.S. Army intelligence officer with two combat deployments to Iraq. The company is at Sparrow NS, that's Sparrow November Sierra in uh, military talk, dot com, SparrowNS.com. Derek Timmerman, welcome to Nonprofit Radio. Tony, it's a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure to have you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. Absolutely. You're uh, one of our uh, West Point uh, alumni as well. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So any Navy fans out there, I'm sorry about that. But uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been there. I, I have a nephew who uh, graduated there. I think, I think he was 94. Okay. Yep. 94, the year to score or something. You have a, you have a little... You have a little jingle that goes with every year. I think he was we, like. We do. Yeah. And, and impressive that you know that. Uh, so mine is uh, Pride and All We Do 2002. We were actually the uh, the bicentennial class. So the thing was founded in 1802. So they, they all called us the golden children all the way through that because it was celebrated that we were the 200th anniversary class of, of West Point. So Pride and All We Do 02. Okay. Outstanding. And you just made me realize my, my nephew is much younger than that. So he might, it ended with a four. I was saying 94. I think it was probably 2004. 2004. I, so yeah. I'm way, I was way, he's, he's much younger than you and me. Which, um, which, me, which means he might've been there when I was there. And I, as a, as a senior or junior, I might've given him a hard time. So apologies if he's listening. And if, if I, if I made him do push-ups or something, I don't know. All right. Well, we'll shout him out. Uh, uh, Jacob, Jacob Weber. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I, I and I uh, witnessed what I the uh, I witnessed some of the the rehearsals for a day. A day is the very first day, right? Acceptance or a day is that the very first day that the the new cadets, the first year cadets, oh, register? Is that yeah? Now you're really stretching my. Is that our yeah. day? Is that maybe it's our day for registration? Our day, day. reception day. That's what it is. Our yes, day. yes. Step yeah, the line. You, I blocked you know, it out. Lot. It's a memory that, you know, honestly, Tony, uh, it, okay. it's a difficult thing to dredge up, my friend. So, yeah. But our day, reception day, that was a significant emotional event for sure. It was. Okay. <laughs> and uh, so uh, from the from McKinsey and the and the and the uh, United States Army, why 
Sparrow nonprofit services. Sparrows oh. to me seem so frail. Uh, they don't have long lifespans. Why? Why? Set me straight. Why is it na- Sparrow nonprofit services? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I love this question. Uh, so I, I'm a person of faith. Uh, my faith commitments are very, very important to me. And there is a biblical passage uh, that goes something like, uh, you are worth more than many sparrows, kind of talking about the fact that um, our creator sees everything, every part of his creation, including, you know, the smallest, tiniest sparrow. And uh, we as people are worth more than many sparrows. So I wanted to give nonprofit leaders sort of that sense uh, in all the work that I do, uh, that they're seen, they're valued, they're not alone, and they have worth uh, because it's, as your listeners, I'm sure know, who are nonprofit leaders, it can be it can be a lonely thing. So that's why the name Sparrow uh, is to, to bake that into the heart of everything that we are and do. All right. Thanks. And uh, they are our listeners, Derek, please, our listeners. <laughs> uh, and, and I cited the company incorrectly, Sparrow Nonprofit Solutions. That's right. It's not, it's not mere services. There you go. Services. Any schmo can provide services. Anybody. Sparrow, Sparrow provides solutions. So. You got it. That's right. All right. Let's, let's talk about the book, The 40 Laws of Nonprofit Impact. I've got, I've got a bunch that I would like to talk about. Sure thing. But um, I, I'm, I don't know. I'm feeling generous. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling a little anarchic today. So I'm going to – and uh, listeners will know that this is uh, outside – What's, what's typical? I'm going to throw it to you first. You you pick a you pick a law. You have 40 laws. Yes, the 40 laws. They're broken down into different categories. You you pick a favorite law of yours. What's the one you like to talk about first? Oh my goodness! You're asking me to pick one of my favorite children. This is this is difficult. But okay, uh, then forget it. I'll go for no, it. No, I, I got I got one. For <laughs> um, so the one that I, I find raises the most eyebrows with nonprofit leaders that I speak with and maybe provokes the most reflection and thought on their part. So that's fun when, when I can have that impact sure. is, is law number two, define the win. Um, really what that's all about is uh, gently challenging nonprofit leaders to identify what is the fundamental unit of impact for their nonprofit organization. So a lot of words there, but let me, let me sort of share a simple example. If, if I was uh, on my high school football team, I'm not a big guy. So uh, there was a time when I wanted to gain weight to be on the football team. If that was my goal to gain weight, the fundamental unit of impact would be what? One pound. Pounds. A single pound, right? So that's the number of units I'm trying to replicate and grow in my nonprofit. Um, similar you know, if, if I'm at this stage in my life and uh, I might uh, have one or two LBs to lose, the fundamental unit of impact would be losing a pound. So that's that's kind of the idea is within your nonprofit, what is that unit that is the thing that defines the win? So it's it's incredible to me how many nonprofits go through their day-to-day operations not knowing that or having a vague sense of a, a general mission without having that unit of impact firmly in mind. But once they select it, they're able to say a vision that they want to cast for the next three to five years. So let's say that you and I, Tony, um, I'm in Denver and love nature trails. Let's say that you and I together wanted to found a nonprofit to preserve 
public nature trails in the Denver area. The unit of impact would be one mile of nature trail that we keep clean, pristine, uh, keep it you know preserved um, from week to week. We go out on the trail, and that's the mile that we that we preserve. Um, well, if, let's say we get a bunch of volunteers to help us uh, and set a goal of five years from now, we want to have a thousand pristine, clean public nature trails in the Denver area that are cleaned. Uh, that's our pile of units of impact that we want to have. We've just cast a vision for our nonprofit that we can gear the whole organization to the board, the staff, the volunteers. Everybody has that vision of a thousand miles of public nature trail. That uh, Derek, I'm, a little, I'm, I'm concerned you're already backpedaling because the book uh, posits 2,500 miles. I know. I know. This hypothetical nature nature trail preserves preservation nonprofit. Now you're now you you're back down to only a thousand. What happened to twenty five hundred goal? Well, so that's I'm in Denver now. In the book, it's in North and South Carolina. So there's more trails in the whole two states to work with. But all right, yeah, I I think around Denver there's a thousand. But yeah, thank you for catching me on that though. You're I I (laughs) could tell you're a a close reader. (laughs) I read the book. I read. Yeah, I appreciate it. That's awesome. All right, we'll stick with a thousand. We'll be modest. It's, it's a startup organization. <laughs> a thousand miles in the first year. Deal, deal. Yeah, but that's that's what I throw out is is yeah. you know, defi- defining the win and challenging nonprofit leaders to really define that fundamental unit of impact and what's the pile of units that they want to achieve in three to five years. And that leads beautifully to one that I would like to talk about, which is the law number three, which is who are know who you are when you're winning. Hmm. which to me sound, I mean, it's, it's uh, well, not to me sounds like, but uh, it's your, you, you say it, it's, it's, it's the values. What do you, what does, what does your, what does your organization stand for? Uh, you know, at the core, aside from what it wants to do, what does it stand for? And you know, this stuff off the top of your, you know, you don't need to refer to your encyclopedia of the 40 laws. You know, this, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stump you. I'm not out to stump you. And uh, you, you wrote a book. Come on, you don't know do that. I'm 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 a hundred percent with you. And um, I, what I what I don't say clearly in the book, um, but what it's is worth mentioning here is these first four chapters, these first four laws, are what I call the four questions. And whenever I work with nonprofits, kind of in a consultative basis, um, I, I I love to kind of have this be one of the early conversations I have with them. And it's a little bit of a different way of getting at the sort of age old, in some ways, tired and boring uh, mission, vision, value strategy that we always hear about. I mean, I I came into my work with nonprofits wanting to sort of breathe some life, some new life into those four things, because it's it is it's easy to kind of have our sort of eyes roll back and just kind of get that glassy eyed look when the, the old mission, vision, value strategy conversation comes up. But the four questions that I throw out there are, why do you exist? What is winning? Who are you when you're winning? And how do you win? And that's answering those. It gets to the right destination in a bit of a different way, in a way that involves people and results in an answer, frankly, that that's different than just having the uh, the normal way that you might go about finding out what your mission, vision, value, strategy are. The third question, who are you when you're winning, is actually a, a way to get out the values of your organization. Uh, and asking it in a who-based way it really unlocks some interesting thinking when I work with nonprofits. 
Um, one workshop that I love to do is actually uh, having six sticky flip charts posted around the wall of a room and asking the, the nonprofit to write down, name three men and three women in your organization, could be volunteers, could be founders, could be staff, write their name at the top of each one of the flip charts. So you've got these six flip charts around the room. Uh, Susan's name goes on the top of one, Jerry's name goes to the top of the second and on around the room. And then everybody who's participating in the workshop goes around the room with a, a flip chart marker and writes down everything they can name about the attributes of those people. What is it about them that makes them such an incredible embodiment of the nonprofit. And by the end of the exercise, everyone's crying, everyone's excited, everyone's thrilled about how great this organization is. But what's what's truly amazing is what, what each of those words represents is a clue as to the values of the organization. Those words are who the organization is when it's winning. And from those, you can distill out what are the five to seven values of the organization, having looked at the people of the organization first, and then developing a check question for each, for each person to ask in a first person way, uh, from moment to moment, am I living out each one of these five to seven values? I love this, that idea of of starting with the people that embody the organization. Then what is it about those people? And then you find the commonalities across those, you said you do it with six. Uh, That's a, that, that's great insight. I like that. Right. And, and really, I, I mean, it's, it's something I, I stumbled upon uh, while working at a church uh, some time ago. And what's, what's really neat about it is it avoids the trap of values that so many nonprofits fall into that, you know, they, they think about what's going to look good on a plaque or what's mm-hmm. going to look good in the lobby or what's going to impress donors. What you're actually doing is working from the bottom up and what you're actually doing and who you actually are as an organization when you're at your best. And make and letting letting the people doing the work, as you say, um, speak to you about what the values really are. Now, can those six people be in the room? Like, so can I go to my own flip chart and vote for myself and say, <laughs> charming, brilliant, funny? You know, can I vote for myself my my own flip chart? Only you, Tony, would ask a question like that. Yeah, well, it's self centered. Yeah, you're right. Of course, yeah. Maybe we'd limit it to three words on your own chart, but but sure, okay. why not? I can vote for myself. Okay, yeah, absolutely. And I can I can suggest uh, adjectives for others to put onto my chart. <laughs> yes, so I can you lobby. Mean, yes, I can you lobby may not be happy my... about the adjectives that others use, uh, but uh, but yes, it, it's it, honesty. As long as honesty is in the room, totally fair game. Okay, Absolutely. yeah, but I'd like to lobby for my flip chart to, to be the <laughs> longest and most effusive. It's time for a break. Turn to communications. Your 2022 communications plan. Lots of projects in there. Lots of writing. Which of those writing projects can you outsource to free up staff time to devote to the work that can't be outsourced? Is your communications team too small for all they have to produce? Do they seem overworked and under-resourced? Pity. Pity that communications team. You can get them help. Turn to communications. Your story is their mission. Turn hyphen to dot co. Now back to the 40 laws of nonprofit impact. You just have to get the book because we can't talk about all 40 laws of nonprofit impact. It's not possible. We're going to skip around a little bit. So I'd like to talk about 
your uh, your number six law, give to gain, which mm. reminds me of a uh, of a networking organization that I was in. In fact, one of your it's either your footnote or one of your resources at the end of that law cites the uh, is a book. I think I think it's a resource you give by the uh, the founder of the organization I was in, Ivan Ivan Meisner. Oh yeah, uh, it, it's the organization is uh, Business Network International (BNI). I used to be in a BNI chapter in New York City. So, and he and the um, the uh, I guess so. I suppose tagline of the organization uh, was "Givers Gain." Givers Gain. So, I, I too am a BNI member, so um, I'm I'm with you there. And oh, you are. You are. I, I am. I am even now. Yeah, I'm a member of. Gosh, it's got to be one of the largest chapters in the U.S. It's 82 members. Can you imagine 82 members in a BNI chapter? Um, but for for our listeners, um, I would say that uh, that BNI is is just incredible for nonprofits, and they even have a deal these days about joining for free. So uh, we could. That's another topic, another conversation. Uh, but but, but yeah. yeah, just to just to put a little finer point on it, uh, if you have BNI Business Network. And network, not networking. Okay. This network international. If you have BNI chapters in your town, uh, there is a, a, a. Even though I'm not no longer a member, but I've I've been asked for by a couple of chapters who know me. Uh, each chapter is allowed one free nonprofit seat in its chapter, so you don't have to pay the annual membership to join a BNI chapter. Uh, and it could be a very good resource. I I found it very good for my business. Derek, you obviously find it good for your business. Otherwise, you wouldn't be a member. 100%. And the reason I recommend it to nonprofits is imagine 30 to, in my case, 80 individuals in your local area from all different professions, each with their own networks, being a permanent week-over-week advocate um, for your nonprofit and your mission. Um, It's almost like a ready-made sales force, marketing force um, for, for your cause. And for those nonprofits that I know that have been in BNI for you know three plus years, uh, all of their volunteers, many of their donors, uh, those who actually help run their galas and events, uh, all, a lot of that energy comes from from their BNI chapter. So yeah. I strongly recommend it. Yeah. You just did the uh, purpose and overview portion of a, uh, a weekly <laughs> meeting at uh, BNI. I was a member for thirteen years. Wonderful in New York City. The only reason I left is because I moved to North Carolina. That's the only reason. All right, so let's talk about giving the gain, and 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 I'm, I hope you'll weave in uh, vulnerability and generosity, please. Absolutely, yeah. So giving to gain is this idea that um, if you if you end up taking the approach with your nonprofit, not just to your beneficiaries. I think we all would say that with our nonprofit missions. Uh, we're here to give to you know those who are the recipients of whatever our mission is. If we're out to eradicate human trafficking, um, you know we're our beneficiaries. We're we're giving to society by making sure that survivors are able to be restored, and uh, and that that those who are are victims are able to be pulled out. You know, of course, we're giving to the beneficiaries of our organizations. It, it's a little bit of a reach, though, and maybe a bit of a new concept to think about giving to our board members, to our staff, to our volunteers, uh, to our prospective donors, to our existing donors, everyone we interact with um, in our organization, um, we have the ability to do one of three things with them, to either entertain, educate, or empower. 
And those three things we can do with, with every single person that we touch day in and day out, whether it's an email, a phone call, face-to-face interaction, giving needs to be the, the passion of every nonprofit leader. Um, and you mentioned vulnerability and generosity. Those are two of the main, main components of how you can be a giver. Um, vulnerability, certainly in terms of, you know, approaching interactions in a way that, uh, that shows that you're human. Um, I think authenticity is probably one of the most overblown, overused words. And, you know, there's a, a dark side to authenticity in terms of, you know, just being a burden on everyone you come in contact with. And, and that's not what we mean by vulnerability. What we mean really actually is, is just showing that you uh, have flaws, uh, that you're uh, someone who's prone to mistakes, admitting those mistakes, uh, showing your warts and, and letting the other person know that you're human. Um, generosity uh, and really curiosity goes along with this as well is, is training yourself to seek out ways to give, to look for, you know, what is it that this person sitting across from me needs uh, the most? You know, I'm looking at you right now on Zoom, Tony, and I, I, I could see you could use some wall hangings, you know, the, the, the walls behind you looking a little bare. So maybe I'll send you um, something to, to hang on the wall here at some point. Just kidding, but <laughs> I have my I have my uh, high 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 tech uh, art deco. Well, not art deco, but uh, postmodern uh, Hewlett Packard printer. It, it is, yeah. yeah. That that is a that is a nice printer back there. But but hey, maybe maybe we could use a little bit more more on the wall. But hey, you know what? I in every interaction. Oh, there you go. Yeah. You recognize, uh, I just tipped my uh, camera, my uh, screen up so that uh, Derek could see. Do you recognize that comic uh, character? Uh, it's it's a, what's his, Sad sad Sam or Sad, what? That's Beetle, that's Beetle Bailey. Beetle Bailey, okay, all right. That's a yeah, signed, uh, signed original. Whoa. From, uh, from Mort Walker. The, uh, so, well, I'm, I, I date myself all the time. I'm, I'm 60 years old. So I remember Beetle Bailey in the comics. Uh, so so the hapless he was in the army, actually. He was in the United States Army. He was. I know. I noticed in Beetle Bailey. So he, here we go, guys. This for our listeners. We 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 can see here. I have a clue now of something that might be of value to Tony in the future. Right? I, just by looking at his wall, taking a little interest, having a little curiosity. I there may come a time here in the next month or two where here comes in the mail a little cartoon for uh, for Tony to hang on his wall. Um, that can remind him of spare nonprofit solutions and keep him encouraged as he goes throughout his day. Just giving to gain. That's the kind of thing we're talking about is having just that little bit more curiosity than is common, being that rare person who looks for ways to give. And then the law of reciprocity kicks in where that person is uh, just naturally, it's the psychology of human nature uh, is going to look for ways to give back. Somewhere in the book, you, you you recommend, uh, I think it's two people a day, do something special for two people a day, and also try to uh, think about how you can give something small to the people that you do interact with each day. Like you're describing, you know, you don't, you don't need to send me any comics or I, mean, <laughs> I, I won't reject it if you do, but, but uh, so you just, you, you, you got to get the book. You got to get the book for the full breadth of the, the, the wisdom and the ideas um, and yeah, vulnerability, I, you know, too many people think vulnerability is a, is a sign of weakness. I think it's a sign of confidence and strength that you're, you're confident and strong enough to, 
to share your real self again, without wearing your heart on your sleeves, as you suggested, you know, and burdening people, but not, not going that far, but vulnerability, I think is a sign of confidence and strength. It is. And it's, it's, it taps into, to the power of humor. I mean, I, I think one of the, the least mentioned and most underrated characteristics of leadership and impact for that matter is humor. Um, if you can make fun of yourself at the beginning of any talk that you give or fundraising conversation or uh, podcast that you join, um, humor is, uh, is one of the most uh, disarming, endearing things that you can do as a fundraiser and as a nonprofit leader. So vulnerability is a big part of that. I think uh, I, I appreciate what you said about humor. Thank you. And, um, I'll leave it there. I believe well said. Um, let's talk about uh, assembling, if we could put these couple together, assembling your dream team and running with achievers of character. Hmm. You like the, uh, the dream team to be uh, productive. You, you, you talk about productive passion. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's from the very introduction when I start to talk about talent. Uh, and talent is one of the key kind of red threads that kind of runs throughout all 40 laws uh, of nonprofit impact. Um, if I could wave a magic wand and wish anything on the nonprofit world today be different than the way it is, it's that every nonprofit leader would become talent obsessed. Mm. And I, I don't use that word lightly. Uh, you know, I, I, one of the wonderful things about nonprofit leaders is what big hearts they have, not just for the causes that they serve, but, but also for the people that are around them. Uh, the flip side of that big hearted coin though, is that we can uh, unfortunately tolerate around us uh, those whose uh, talent profile may not be the best that would actually contribute to the advancement of our mission. Yeah, um, good enough. I, you, you, know, you caution against making hires that are good enough. Good enough hires. You got it. Yeah, no, it, it when I, when I use the term talent obsessed, it is going uh, more than 10 deep through a, uh, a talent pool. When you put something out on Indeed, you see a, uh, somebody on paper who looks like they're good. They get in an interview, they answer some questions well, and suddenly they're in the nonprofit. Well, what you just did in, in letting that person in the door without you know, going deeper into the talent pool and doing your due diligence and giving that person a trial run of actually doing the work before they get the offer letter, Hmm. Um, all of these things um, will greatly enhance not just your nonprofit in the near term, but they're going to impact the trajectory of your nonprofit organization way over the long term. So all the way back to your question about assembling your dream team is you're always keeping an eye out for those people in your midst, whether it's just a, a volunteer who comes in to help with something, you see them approach their work of, you know, Putting, folding up the papers, putting them in the envelope, stamping them, sending them out. You're watching and there's something that caught your eye while they were doing that work, the spirit that they brought to the work, uh, the fact, the way they're interacting with the rest of your staff and the other volunteers, uh, just the vibe that they have, their confidence. Um, you're, you're keeping an eye out for those kinds of talent rock stars. And when you see that, you actually make an effort to start to draw them into your dream team. 
This could be the case with prospective board members, with uh, major donors, anything that might touch your nonprofit. You're always trying to keep an eye out for who is going to be that inner circle that joins you to take this work into the future. Yeah. Um, yeah. Derek, you, when you were talking about, and that may apply for volunteers as well. Maybe, maybe moving someone from volunteer to volunteer leadership. It absolutely does. That, yeah, there's, there's that, an entire. You got it. Yeah, there's you're an looking entire for the outliers. The the what do you say? The the productive uh, those who are productive passion. That's right. Um, That's right. You, yeah. you mentioned ten ten deep in an in an interview process. What, what did you mean by that? So I I, I think we, we we nonprofit leaders can have a tendency, busy as they are, to give up a little bit too early or to uh, to settle. You know, for someone who is you know, looks good on paper and, you know, let's give them a try in the role and start paying them. And the thought is we can always go back on that decision. Well, no, it's, it's not easy to uh, change someone's life, to give them a job and they get into the role. And then suddenly there's an inertia to the thing where it, it is difficult to go back on that decision. Why not take an extra month or two and go 30 deep or 50 deep into the Indeed pool? Something I, I did recently with a higher and spare nonprofit solution was it was actually create a Google sheet that has multiple tabs that actually gave them real work to do that they would be doing if they came into the role in my organization. That's before the interview even. So I haven't even talked to this person yet. I see the Indeed resume and they're getting a link from me to a customized Google sheet for them to go through and do the actual work that they would be doing within Sparrow. Then and only then, when they've completed the sheet and I've seen that they have the grit and the intelligence and the mental equipment and uh, the the ingenuity the, to well, do and also, job on this. Also, also the commitment. The commitment. commitment. You're asking for you're asking for a time commitment before you've even interviewed them. I can't tell you, Tony, how many how people committed are, are they? Yeah. I, I, I can't tell you, Tony, how many people I thought were rock stars that I sent this Google sheet, and they never even got a third of the way through the thing, and that told me. Whew, Good thing I didn't waste my time, you know, interviewing, speaking with them. Yeah, you wouldn't believe how many nonprofit leaders don't do this. Is, is right. so, so, yeah, this this easy step of just having them do the work, and yeah, this is part of being talent obsessed, and I, I commend it to every nonprofit leader. And you're standing by that even in today's labor constrained market, where a lot of people have left. Uh, it, it's harder to it's harder to find people. You're you, you stand by the talent obsession even in the current labor market. I stand by it even more so. I stand by it even more so. Yeah, it's uh, no hire is better than uh, a bad hire, and whether that's that takes two months or six months, um, you get the right people into your organization. This goes for board seats, by the way, um, even more so. But yes, you take the time that you need to get the right person in the role especially in this talent-constrained environment. It's time for Tony's Take Two. How long has planned giving been on your to-do list? I can help you get it off. The 50% off planned giving accelerator, it'll never be cheaper. It's never, never going to be less than this. 50% off, it ends next week, February 7th. You can join the February class. The class runs for six months. Your commitment is an hour a week for six months, and we will launch your planned giving program together. You get 50% off. There are still some slots left. 
A generous donor has agreed to pay half the tuition for 10 nonprofits, and there are still spots left. If you'd like to get yours, you can send me an email, tony at tonymartinetti.com. If you want info on Planned Giving Accelerator, that's at plannedgivingaccelerator.com. Let me know. You want to get planned giving off your to-do list? It's never going to be easier. I'm putting it right in your lap. I hope you'll be with me. That is Tony's Take Two. We've got Buku, but loads more time for the 40 Laws of Nonprofit Impact with Derek Timmerman. That uh, that makes me think of your law number 11, which is uh, hire with ruthless selectivity. That's it. I, I, yeah. And that's that's kind of the thesis of the last you know five-ish minutes of what we've been dis- discussing. Um, hire your staff with ruthless selectivity. Absolutely. But that goes for... Uh, for the board as well. Um, uh, it's, it's a regrettable feature of the nonprofit landscape these days that so many board members are brought in um, on kind of a you're doing us a favor type thing is please, please, please join our board. And we, we desperately need, you know, people with your skills. Um, oh, you're an accountant. Oh, we need a treasurer for our board please join. Um, it's not going to be that much of a commitment. Oh man, it, it drives me crazy, Tony. It, yeah. It's got to go the other direction is, yeah, this is, this isn't, this is an A team. This is a varsity team. Um, we're not sure if you're going to be right for the board. I, I like that you have an accounting background. That is something that we could use, but that means nothing to us. Uh, if, if you're not willing to put in that eight hours a month um, of time and energy and effort and have a purple passion for for this nonprofit's mission. So we'll see, um, but we we hope it works out. But uh, but let's do the dance and see where this goes uh, to see if you might be uh, might have what it takes to join our board. That makes all the difference. You highly value uh, personal referrals too. Folks, folks that are already close to the organization recommending people oh. to you. Yeah. And I'm, I'm enthralled by these examples like Zappos who have come out and said, we're not going to do job descriptions anymore. How cool is that to say that we're, we're not going to go the traditional route of just putting out job descriptions uh, and job postings out on the internet for all to see. Uh, we know what we need and we have great people. So we're going to re- trust those people to, uh, to spread the word about the roles that we need and, and get those people uh, into into a situation where they can interview with us, where they can go through some scenarios to see how they do kind of in the work itself. And yeah, we're, we're just going to do this by word of mouth. That's a, it's a cool model and it's working for them. Interesting. I, I, I'm not aware of that, but uh, I, I could see the value. It's um, all right. It's groundbreaking. Good. Yeah. I like, I like people who uh, think outside, you know, just think differently. I don't like outside the box, but just think, you know, just think differently. And, and, and try it. You know, if they don't end up getting enough applicants to their jobs, then, then they can find another way. They can pivot and, and think of something else that's, that's not just a, a typical job description on, uh, on a job board. And, yeah. And I, I know that there's probably listeners right now thinking I'm a, I'm a tiny nonprofit. I, I, it's just me. 
right? It's I'm, I'm, I'm the executive director and that's it. So Derek, I get it, but where do I even begin with this? And, and I would say to, the, to that person, uh, just as a way of encouragement, uh, it's going to take a lot of effort to get those first one, two, three rock stars aligned with you, but take comfort that it gets easier. Uh, the more that you build this dream team, the easier it gets to just add that incremental next person. So put in the effort, put in the work as slow as it feels to find that one, that first, second, third dream team member, and you're going to watch it get easier as time goes on. You also have advice about uh, firing fast, letting people go when it's not working out. Don't, don't invest more, cut your losses, move on. Yeah, this is something I learned from my McKinsey days, honestly, from my working with Fortune 500 companies. Uh, when we would do these McKinsey surveys of CEOs and C-suite leaders about the biggest regret that they, they had in their professional life, it was moving too slowly on uh, poor performers, uh, letting that extra six months or a year or two years or more go by, uh, just hoping that things would change and feeling like, you know, putting too much stock in what professional development could achieve. Uh, I do believe strongly that, that people can uh, improve and change, but there, there is a base level of capacity uh, to continuously improve. And if, if you don't notice that that is there uh, the best thing that you can do for your organization and your mission is to act quickly on poor hiring decisions. I think a lot of CEOs consider that uh, an admission, an, an embarrassing admission of of a mistake. If I if I fire the person too quickly, then it's obvious that I shouldn't have hired them in the first place, and now I'm admitting that I've made a mistake. But I mean that goes back to vulnerability, you know, checking your ego at the door, uh, and just being confident enough to admit that you did make a mistake. It's the gamblers. Uh, it's, it's, it's the, the age old gambler thing. I, I was in Vegas once. I know that surprises you, Tony. I, I know that you don't think of me maybe as a Vegas guy, but I'm sitting at the roulette table. It was, and, a, dollar, it was the dollar table. Uh, there you go. Yeah. I'm, I'm sitting at the roulette table and uh, this guy next to me uh, has a confident look on his face and he, he, he puts some money down on, on red and he loses. Uh, and he, he, he he puts double that amount on red and I can, I can see where this story is going. I've seen this movie before. I feel bad for him, but he puts double on red and he loses again. And with each time that he puts money on red, he doubles it and he keeps getting this worse and worse, more concerned look on his face to the point where he's lost six times. And I can tell by the, the look on the guy's face, he, he's about to put his kids, a big chunk of his kids college fund on red it just, I, yeah, it's awful. But this is what we do when it comes to bad hires all the time. And I would just say, uh, walk away from the table and, um, and, and go do something else. <laughs> you have advice too on uh, law number 14 about using freelancers. Win, win while you're sleeping. Yeah. Oh, man. It, it's... It's so exciting to be in uh, an entrepreneurial role like Sparrow Nonprofit Solutions for nonprofit leaders that are small or mid-sized to be in these roles. I mean, even more so than 10 or 15 years ago, uh, we have platforms available to us today 
to access uh, incredibly talented, uh, fluent English speakers in the Philippines, in India, in you know, any country, even in the U.S., who um, are willing to do incredible work for our organizations uh, while we sleep. Uh, these are called freelancers. And the, the two platforms, I'll give three actually, the three platforms I use most when it comes to freelancers are Fiverr, Upwork, and 99designs. And imagine in 99designs case, you need a logo, you need a, a new label design for something, you need a, a poster or a one pager. You can go in 99designs and start a contest and have freelancers from all over the world, designers who are incredibly talented, mm. competing to win your contest. So it could be $99, it could be $199. But rather than go out and going out and hiring a design firm, you can have this contest where freelancers are actually competing to win. You're giving them feedback. So they're actually doing revisions right there. So that all of these folks are working for you. And then by the end of it, you've got an incredible product uh, that you can that you can then take into your nonprofit work. I've used this uh, in list building all the time. Right now, as we as you and I are speaking, Tony, I've got three freelancers around the world building uh, lists with email addresses, phone numbers, prospects, um, and and I know that here in a day or two, I'll be able to look at those and use those for my my marketing efforts. That's what I mean by be have always have something happening while you're sleeping. Um, these freelancers can be doing great things for you for five dollars an hour, maybe less, um, and you can even pay them for the actual project itself. I do twenty five cents a row for my Excel for my Google Sheets that I have them fill out for for leads. So I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure if your listeners could could use twenty five cents a row to to have a fundraising sheet to growing while you're doing other things, but, uh, but I found it's, it's incredibly helpful to my work. And what are the three uh, sites that you use again? Fiverr. I know I've used that one. So Fiverr is one. Fiverr with two R's. So Upwork is the second and 99 designs is the third Uh, for anything visual or involving design. 99 designs is incredible. Let's talk about uh, some, uh, some of your laws that are intrinsic uh, to, to the to the person, like unleashing your unique strengths and and avoiding that focus on weaknesses. Sure. Yeah. Oh, this is this is so near and dear to my heart. I was at McKinsey for six years, and the second three years was doing a people strategy on McKinsey itself. So it was actually. We did it. We launched an engagement not to serve an external client, but to say, we're going to sharpen the saw within this consulting firm. So we're going to do a strategy on how to uh, be the preeminent place for the world's most uh, incredible talent. And one of the main work streams that we ended up coming up with, um, and this is all research based, is making McKinsey a strengths based organization. And I, I took that to heart so much that I've taken it everywhere I've gone to work with nonprofits as well. Uh, because the, the the thesis is this, is that all of us came up in uh, elementary school, middle school, high school, and college with this grading system. And the best you can get on most assignments is what? A hundred. Sure. Right? Yeah, that's, that's the best score you can get. 
And uh, that was the, the top thing that, that we could achieve. And anything less than that was points were deducted. You lose two points here, five points there, 10 points there. If it's late, that's minus 10 or 20 or something. But, um, but that's how we learned what success is, is not making mistakes. So here we are dumped into adult life and we've got this paradigm of that's, that's what success is. So we feel like job to job, task to task, our goal is to what? Eradicate as many mistakes from our work as we can, is to get rid of the weaknesses. Well, come to find out that the research shows that you can really only take a weakness from a, you know, a negative 10 to maybe a negative four. It's never going to stop being a weakness when it comes to being intrinsically, you know, who you are, the essence of who you are. Um, I will never be a, a really great gregarious um, person who can work a room. You know, now you say you, you say in the book a few times that you're an introvert. Introvert. Absolutely. A hundred percent. But um, so I'm, I'm only going to do so much to mitigate that weakness. If I, if I spent all my time trying to, to play the extrovert's game, I would never be able to leave the impact on the world that I otherwise would if I'd focused on my strengths. Because the research, same research also shows that you can take a plus 10 uh, with the same effort or, or, or much easier than you took the negative 10 to a negative four. You could take a plus 10 to a plus 40 in terms of your strengths. So what am I going to focus on as far as leaving my impact on the world? I'm a pretty good writer. So rather than focus on going into all of these networking events and working a room, I still need to show up. I still need to do that. Um, and, but if I have a certain amount of poker chips uh, to put uh, on a certain place, I'm going to put those poker chips on my strengths and make sure the weaknesses aren't holding me back but focus most of my time on my strengths and bring people around me that have strengths in areas that I have weaknesses. The man claims he's not a gambler, but now that's the second, uh, <laughs> that's, that's the second gambling metaphor. We've been through the roulette table. We've been to the poker table. I don't know. Maybe up, you'll be up the stakes. We'll go to back We'll see. We'll see where we go. Something tells me you'd be pretty dangerous in Vegas, Tony. I, I maybe, maybe yeah, dangerous to myself. <laughs> Dangerous to my future and my retirement. Yeah, that, that's the danger. The house, the house has nothing to worry about. Yeah. Uh, let's uh, another one that's individual. Um, eat last, eat last, and get dirty. And this is a little controversial. Uh, this is uh, talk about thinking differently. Uh, this is not a not a mainstream uh, uh, strategy uh, law. Law number nineteen. But uh, let's talk about it eat last and get dirty. Yeah. Something I do in the book is kind of chunk up each of these laws into sort of themed groups. And this one is in the, the laws of leadership. And it, it was, I benefited, uh, although I didn't appreciate it at the time, I benefited while at West Point um, being the recipient of uh, an unending parade of speakers that would come before us. Uh, it was Robinson auditorium. And we would go down as a class or as a whole school, only 4,000 cadets in the whole of West Point. Um, and we would gather in these auditoriums and once or twice a week, incredible leadership speakers from around the world would come and share their wisdom. And a commonality that we'd find over and over again is 
this leadership attribute of selflessness, of being the last to eat, the last to leave, the last to benefit when uh, your soldiers, uh, in the context of West Point training, they come first. Soldiers first, leaders last. And that finds a way of of seeping into your soul after enough of those talks. Uh, And you get out and in the two combat tours, I was in Iraq. uh, That was something that, um, you know, that I took to every unit that I led is this idea that, you know, they eat first. They get to use the phone first to call home. They get to use the computer first to, to send the email. And this leadership attribute is something that really endears those who serve uh, alongside you. Uh, they really come to, uh, to follow you uh, into anything if they know that that's the, the leadership um, approach that you take. So in the nonprofit world, what, what does that look like? Uh, it, it really looks like you know, being the leader who puts staff, volunteers, board, the mission first. And it's radical to see when you see it. It's incredibly rare, as you say. Um, in the book, I, I think I use the example of, uh, from one of my favorite books by Stephen Pressfield, of King Leonidas in Gates of Fire. Uh, if, if I could only recommend one leadership book, and I give away cases of the thing, um, it's, it's this book, Gates of Fire. And there's a critical moment when uh, everyone is squabbling around what to do about this wall. There's a debate. Where do we put it? How high do we make it? What materials do we use? And the old king just begins to pick up one block at a time and set it on top of the other. And everyone looks on and says, what, what, what is he doing? Well, he's, he's just beginning to, to build the wall. He doesn't say a word. He just leads by example and starts to do it. And suddenly everyone out of shame says, what what are we waiting for? Let's go. And everyone starts to build it alongside him. And there he is, even to the end, uh, long after others have have tired out, he's still there, still building. So that that to me is the image of leadership that I try to carry with me. Don't I wouldn't say I'm always successful, but that's the ideal. You do say people will follow a strong and sacrificial figure who leads by example. Absolutely. Put a little finer point on it. Um, But then, you know, it it goes far. You know, you talk about work martyrdom. Mm. And that's why I said uh, this one is a little, uh, certainly I think is is controversial, controversial, polemic. Um, You martyrdom, Mm. not, not taking vacation. You know, you, you open that law, I think with a, a description of what most people would say is, Someone overcommitted, uh, maybe even obsequious to their to their supervisor, uh, show, feels they have to be the first one in the office and the last one every day, etc. And then you 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 encapsulate it as uh, as work martyrdom, but then you uh, you praise that. Yeah. So this is hopefully uh, where I don't lose lose you and certainly not our listeners. No, but, you're not gonna, but, but, I'm not going to shut but, your but, mic but, off. But, no, absolutely. Yeah. No, this is one of the more controversial parts of 40 laws. Um, I've noticed a trend recently uh, just in uh, as, you know, a lot of the well-intentioned writings and books around uh, mental health in the workplace um, have tried, you know, for, for a long, long time to get, get people to recognize that, you know, it, it's necessary to be a whole person. And a lot of that is, is very useful and well-meaning, uh, 
But as in all things, uh, I believe the pendulum can swing too far in one or the other direction. And it's my humble opinion that the pendulum may have swung uh, a little bit too far in the direction of uh, trying to build a padded room around the workplace. Of uh, There is a little bit of a mamby-pamby uh, <laughs> uh, uh, vibe to a lot of what's coming out these days when it comes to work is, is don't, don't work too, too hard now. And, and you need to make sure that you have the proper balance in place. And, you know, again, all well-intentioned, but what it's done is, is ignore the story after story that I put in the book. Every chapter begins with a key leader, the real story of a nonprofit leader who um, if they had taken that advice, would not have achieved near what they did in their lives uh, with the impact that they did um, to include some of the foremost figures like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who was flying around all over the place during the height of his ministry to achieve what he did. Uh, did he back off? Did he uh, take it easy? Did he embrace a work-life balance? Um I would say maybe not according to, you know, what we're hearing from a lot of folks these days. So uh, work martyrdom is the term that I give to, you know, the, the extreme pendulum swing that says, you know, don't, don't, don't work too hard, take it easy. Well, I would say that in order to achieve the, the impact on the world that many of these nonprofit missions would hope to achieve. Yeah. It's going to take uh, it's going to take a radical level of work ethic uh, in order to achieve that, uh, a work ethic that would look crazy uh, to maybe some of the folks who are writing these books. So again, hope I didn't lose you or too many folks with with that little scree, but um, that's where I land. Not at all. I invited it. Uh, I will we'll leave it there. Let let folks decide what 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 the balance is. What what's appropriate. Love Let's wrap up with one other one. I'm so such a generous spirit today. I don't know why. It's <laughs> it's. Uh, it's uh, it's upsetting me that I, no, uh, not at all. But let's wrap up with one that you'd like to talk about that we haven't talked about yet. Um, yeah, could you uh, could you pick a law that uh, we we if to, if uh, if you need a little guidance, like we didn't talk about anything related to laws of engagement or laws of operating. Um, we didn't talk about laws of diversity, and the only reason I left that out intentionally is because. I anticipate a lot of conversations coming up around diversity from the nonprofit technology conference where I'm going to be interviewing 25 or 30 of their speakers that's coming up in March. And I know we're going to have a lot of guests talking about diversity. So that's why, that's why I didn't leave. That's why I deliberately left out your, your four laws on uh, diversity, but you want to uh, please indulge. Well, there's, there's one yourself. There's one within the laws of diversity that that is not going to touch on the nose to what you're going to be talking about, you know, in later podcasts and in, in the conference. So, if if I may be so bold, the, the the one that I think is is a way to end on a high note as well is celebrate and elevate law 18. Celebrate yes. and elevate, Wonderful. and it it's uh, it touches on diversity, but it's it's broader than that. Um, you know, I we we've talked about lots of things that you know. Uh, Nonprofits can improve on, but I'd like to end on a high note just by saying that your nonprofit, whoever you are, whatever you're doing, uh, there's things that are happening every single day that are worth celebrating. So I, I would I would say that you know 
the best gift you can give your nonprofit is a great board of directors. The next best gift, a close second, is a culture of celebration within the walls of your nonprofit. There are many things that are happening all the time that are worth celebrating. If your emails are loaded with celebration, if you're if you catch your staff or volunteers doing things well and make a huge deal of it and are lavish in your praise of them uh, and celebrating them, if you're starting out each of your staff meetings with a celebratory moment of something that's that's going great in your organization, um, that's what I would say is if, if you can give your nonprofit a culture of celebration where you're constantly catching things going well, giving voice to them, being vocal about them and recognize them, recognizing those things in silly, exciting ways, uh, maybe even to the point of literally having a bell in your nonprofit workspace where you're ringing the bell all day long. Uh, that is the kind of nonprofit I love, I'd love to be involved in, and I'm sure you would as well. So that's what I would say is, is, is find ways to, to develop a culture of celebration within your nonprofit. Derek Timmerman, D-E-R-I-K, founder of Sparrow Nonprofit Solutions. The book is The 40 Laws of Nonprofit Impact. Derek, thank you so much. What a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Tony. Next week, Influencing Young America to Act with Derek Feldman. You see how the show is planned out to all the, how all the Derek's come together. This, this does not just happen. This is, this is, takes production skill. I can't even begin to explain the, the time that goes into uh, coordinating the Derek's to be together. If you missed any part of this week's show, I beseech you find it at TonyMartinetti.com. We're sponsored by turn Two communications, PR and content for nonprofits. Your story is their mission. Turn-2.co. Our creative producer is Claire Meyerhoff. Show's social media is by Susan Chavez. Mark Silverman is our web guy. And this music is by Scott Stein. Thank you for that affirmation, Scotty. Be with me next week for Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Go out and be great. <laughs>